The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. It's my rifle, it's my gun, it's my it's my Firearms Friday. Well, hello, and how are you? It is Firearms Friday, right here, the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, and of course, live around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the internet. We are broadcasting on the internet today, yes. Oh, it is so good Friday, and uh, I have uh, I'm I've got my normal intake of coffee aboard, and so I think we are ready to go and do what we need to do. Friday, of course, is the uh, day that we um, <clears throat> that we go over all the good stuff in regards to the Second Amendment, uh, gun laws, uh, the right to keep and bear arms. Firearms laws, decisions, everything to do with the guns. That's what it's all about today. Uh, the one day a week that we kind of like, you know, put it all together. Um, I hope you're staying warm wherever you are. I saw that it was 12 below uh, up in Fairbanks this morning. And uh, somebody said it was uh, 14 degrees in Kasilov, 6 degrees here at the old radio ranch. And just down the road, it's uh, 5 degrees below zero up uh, in northern, northern Wasilla. Northern Matsu, I guess. is So, <clears throat> cooled off just a little bit, but that's okay. It means it's going to warm up today. Uh, it's going to warm up uh, as the uh, sun comes out and uh, things are going to get nice. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm already, we're on the upside. Six minutes of daylight a day, something like that. Six, seven minutes a day we're gaining at this point, if I remember correctly. So, feeling good. Feeling, feeling good it's uh it's looking it's looking not bad here uh for a little bit of uh warmth and sunlight and uh and everything else we're making our way through winter and here we are ready to go today's program is <clears throat> jam-packed this is a jam-packed spectacle that's right today we're going to be joined in a few minutes <clears throat> by jacob Sullum. From Reason Magazine, uh, Jacob is a senior editor over there at Reason, and he has been writing a lot about the various aspects of the Bruin decision um, and what's been happening in a whole slew of different um, venues um, about uh, the right to keep and bear arms and how it's being affected by uh, by Brune and more. Uh, he actually did a roundtable with Nick Gillespie um, 
and <clears throat> I think it was Catherine Mangrew Ward or somebody else. I can't, I can't remember. Anyway, just talking about this here recently, a very, very uh, uh, interesting discussion. I've not finished the whole thing yet, but it was definitely good. But he wrote the other day about um, the federal judge and the latest ruling, which was the ban on gun possession by cannabis users, is uh, saying that it's unconstitutional. And whether you agree with uh, <clears throat> with the usage of marijuana or not, it's good to see at least that people are recognizing that your rights simply can't be infringed um, simply because you use an intoxicant. And this this really breaks it down. This whole thing really breaks it down. And uh, I I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate that discussion. So we're going to talk about that and other um, and other. Uh, uh, decisions here that's coming uh, coming uh, out. Oh, Amy Swearer, that's who it was. Amy Swearer, Nick Gillespie, and Jacob Sullum did a uh, YouTube and Facebook Live um, yesterday. And so I started listening to it last night. It's some good stuff. Um, <clears throat> it, uh, it should be a, it should be a very, very, uh, th- uh, it should be required reading, a required reading. Uh, so we'll continue on and we will talk with, um, uh, we're going to talk with Jacob Solomon about that here in just about 10 minutes or so. We'll pick things up with him and start that discussion. Take us to the top of the hour. Uh, then in hour two, we'll do maybe a little gun Q and a, which is, uh, you know, questions and answers and phone calls. And one of my favorite parts of firearms Friday is getting a chance to talk with you about your decisions. Um, and your thoughts on the Second Amendment. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that in hour two for just a segment, and then we're going to pick it up pretty early with Chris Chang, Top Shot champion from season four of Top Shot, one of the founders of the um, of the uh, National Asian Pacific Gun Owners Association, which, by the way, is part of the new coalition, the Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association which is part of the new coalition, which is fighting back against the uh, New York Concealed Carry Improvement Act, uh, which is going to, uh, that's going to be sitting in front of a a second court, a second circuit court uh, here in just about 30 days. It's going to be done. We're going to talk about that story here in just a second. But uh, Chris Chang is going to come on and give us his thoughts on that. His thoughts on the changing landscape of gun control. Uh, via Brune, and what does it mean for us, and more. And then, of course, we'll finish up the weekend show with our friend, the one, the only, the incomparable, Willie, don't call me William, Waffle. He will be joining us at the end of the show. So it's a busy day. It's a busy, busy day. I also wanted to let you know that on Monday, we got a little bit of a tease for Monday. Monday is going to be um, pretty... uh, uh, pretty important too, because Monday we're going to be talking with a couple different people. Uh, first and foremost in uh, in the first hour, we're going to talk with Doctor Dan Savage, um, Chad. I'm sorry, not Dan Chad. I keep I keep messing that up. I will probably mess it up. I will probably mess it up later on in the program as well. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Chad Savage is the founder of Your Choice Direct Care, talking about the current health care system and why 
it doesn't give you freedom of choice in your health care because it's dominated by insurance companies and the government. So we'll talk to uh, <clears throat> Dr. Chad Savage about that uh, in hour one. And then in hour two, we'll be talking with uh, Sarah Montalbano for Montalbano Mondays, our educational segment that we have every couple weeks here on the program. And uh, so Monday also going to be we're picking things up. Things are starting to pick up for 2023, right? Love being full all the time and talking to all the different folks out there. So that's coming up on Monday. So Dr. Chad Savage and Sarah Montalbano on Monday. And that's where we get started. Okay. Well, I was just mentioning that uh, challenge to the New York's Concealed Carry quote-unquote Improvement Act. And Cam Edwards over at Bearing Arms talks about this this morning. Uh, the legal challenges uh, are continuing to mount up, uh, and the hearing is going to be in front of a three-judge panel on the Second Circuit on March the 20th. Ahead of that hearing, groups on uh, both sides of the debate, pro and con, are weighing in, including an amicus brief filed uh, on Wednesday of this week that has a rather surprising coalition involved in it. The Knight First Amendment Institute at Columbia University, not a place where you would consider that to be a bastion of right-leaning, free-thought kind of stuff, has sided with a number of Second Amendment groups in opposing New York's mandate that concealed carry applicants turn over a list of their social media accounts for police to peruse and look for evidence of quote-unquote good moral character. Filing a brief with the Second Circuit alongside the Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association, the D.C. Project Foundation, the Liberal Gun Club, the National African American Gun Owners Association, and Operation Blazing Sword Pink Pistols, arguing that the mandate is a clear violation of the First Amendment rights of New Yorkers. I mean, that's a that's a diverse group right there. That is a diverse group of interests on this Amica brief. Uh, it uh, I mean, that is it is pretty crazy. Now, that's just one aspect of the CCIA, the Concealed Carry, quote unquote, Improvement Act. Uh, but the social media discourse mandate is really garnering some support from groups that you wouldn't normally, I mean, I keep waiting for the ACLU to throw their hat in the ring on this because it is a direct, uh, it is a direct violation of your first amendment rights and more. And in fact, uh, the, the, uh, part of the brief, which I will read here for you in just a hot second is pretty clear about what's going on. The social media registration requirements burdens well-established First Amendment rights in three ways. First, conditioning applicants' ability to obtain a concealed carry permit on their willingness to register their social media accounts with the government burdens the applicant's right of free speech and association. Second, compelling applicants to disclose their pseudonyms account, their pseudonymous account, including accounts that might be used to avoid harassment, embarrassment, or retaliation for their online speech burdens the applicant's right to speak anonymously. And third, requiring applicants to direct the state to information that may make it obvious what groups they belong to, what identities they hold, and what causes uh, they support burdens the applicant's rights to associational privacy. In effect, 
The statute compels applicants to direct the state to a record of their online speech and associations. The natural and predictable result of this requirement is that applicants will refrain from speech or associations online that they fear may be held against them and in the application process and that they do not believe should be subject to governmental inspection. Yeah. You mean it's going to have a chilling effect on free speech? That you're going to have to try and go back and you're worried about combing back through anything that you may have said that may have offended somebody, especially somebody in power who's now going to decide whether or not you have good moral character? Well, shocking, shocking that that should come across some people's mind. Uh, Again, interesting that the night um, uh, that the uh, that the uh, night First Amendment Institute is taking this up. But it just shows again and again that these laws are far reaching and have just further implications than most people realize. This, again, is a prime example of the law of unintended consequences in these kind of areas and events. And I, for one, am glad to see uh, some support from organizations that normally we would probably turn our nose up at because they support unconstitutional components of other laws. But they're they got it right on this one. I guess they got it right on this one. And that is the important uh, part of this. So just find your find your friend. No, uh, no enemies in a foxhole, right? Uh, all right, we got to uh, we got to go. We're going to continue. Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine is up next. We're going to talk about the latest decisions from the federal courts, both on the marijuana use and on the um, domestic violence restraining order use as well. So we'll continue. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free thing at radio. light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Okay, good morning, my friends, or as they say across the waters, guten morgen, meine Freundin, was ist los? What are you doing? What, what is, what is happening? What be the haps? Uh, welcome to uh, Friday morning, Firearms Friday. Oh, baby. What more could a guy ask for, right, than a chance to talk about one of his favorite topics at the start of the weekend? Ooh, I'm I'm ready. I am ready. Oh, my gosh. Jacob Sullivan is like, boom, Johnny on the spot. I see him out there in the uh, in the green room right now. Let's uh, let's not uh, dilly dally and waste any time. Let's go over there and check in with him to see what is uh, what's happening over there. Good morning, my friend. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? Good, good boy. You look. What, are you trying to emulate the beard, or what's the deal there? It's looking it's looking pretty good. I don't know friend. when you. I don't know when you started working on yours, but I've had mine uh, almost thirty years. Oh, have you? Okay, it's uh, I, I, yeah. Because isn't your oh, you do? I guess it's always been pretty. I guess it's always been. You keep it low cut. Okay, I got it. Um, well, it's uh, yeah. 
it's good to it's good to see you again, and I appreciate you. Uh, I I had to tell you, I appreciate your writings on that. I started to listen to your um your discussion yesterday with Amy and uh, Nick Gillespie, and uh, you guys were making some awesome points there. And I've been encouraging people to go out there and listen to that live stream. Um, you've been following a lot of this stuff really closely. Are you kind of considered to be one of the Second Amendment editors around there to discuss these topics? I'm one of the people who writes about Second Amendment stuff a lot, yeah. Yeah, I know we've had J.D. on here as well, J.D. Tuchilli, um, to discuss these things as well. But uh, I always appreciate uh, your perspective uh, on this. We are about uh, two and a half minutes away from rejoining the radio where we can kind of kick things off and reintroduce you and everything else. Um, how have things been going? I don't. We haven't talked here in a few weeks, so everything... Uh, Everything going good? Anything you want to tease us with that people want should be watching for and uh, things you're working on right now? Well, I've been working on a book um, that uh, explores the parallels between gun control and drug control, which uh, I the pitch is that this will appeal to people across the political spectrum because it tells progressives they're right. It also tells conservatives they're right. But the the upside, the the other side of that is that it could alienate everybody <laughs> across the spectrum because it <laughs> it criticizes the policies that they that they support. But um, <laughs> you know, I I, I think uh, that this has you know this topic has has a, has cross ideological potential because uh, you know conservatives are right when they criticize gun laws and progressives are right when they criticize drug laws and the issues they raise are, are in men very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, starting with, with the racist beginnings of these laws, uh, the ongoing, you know, racially disparate impact, the, the way they undermine civil liberties, the way they uh, empower police and encourage police abuses, all of that. Well, I think it's interesting because I often say on this program, <clears throat> as a libertarian, Everybody hates me. The right hates you. The left hates you. You know, kind of everybody is like everybody's angry at you because you've taken a position that somebody's going to be offended by. But, uh, you know, I take each issue on a case by case basis, which I think is what we're supposed to do instead of being ideologues and just locking ourselves into uh, because we joined some club. We got to lock ourselves into it. And so I appreciate those. That's one of the reasons why I love reason uh, uh, reason dot com and reason magazine is because there I don't always agree with the articles. I don't always agree with them, but it's always given me some good thought provoking stuff. So um, I love that. Um, all right. Uh, let's uh, let's jump. Somebody's giving me a hard time in the uh, chat room. Welcomes guests immediately beard checks him. Well, I was just I don't know. I just <laughs> noticed it. Maybe because I didn't write for this picture. I'm sorry. This is only the second time we've had Jacob on, like, on the live video stream. So usually I'm just talking to him over the phone. So just forgive me for once. I have beards on my mind right now. It's Beard Power Week. That's what it is. We're trying to get it all done. And Jacob is participating nicely. Uh, all right. Uh, here we go. We're 20 seconds out. We're about to rejoin the radio. Jacob Sullum, <laughs> senior editor for Reason Magazine, uh, is with us. We continue right now. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget to like and share the show. Subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. Here we go. Let's do it.
All right, welcome back to the program. It is Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature here on the program, discuss things related to that. We've been talking a lot about the Bruin decision and how the ripples of that are continuing to expand in the pond that is American gun control right now uh, and the differences that are making. And we're seeing that now hit various courts and benches across the country uh, with court cases that are now having to apply the Bruin rule or Bruin decision and precedent uh, against gun laws. And it is causing some serious uh, some serious changes to occur. Jacob Sullum is a senior editor over at Reason Magazine. He's a nationally syndicated columnist and award-winning journalist who's covered drug policy, public health, gun control, civil liberties, criminal justice, and more uh, for more than three decades. His most recent article uh, up on uh, Reason in regards to this is from uh, earlier this week, about uh, four or five days ago. A federal judge bans, uh, federal judge says the ban on gun possession by cannabis consumers is unconstitutional. Uh, we welcome Jacob Selim to the program to discuss this and more. Good morning, Jacob. Good morning. Um, I read this article and I just, I was kind of, I'll be honest with you, I was kind of gleeful uh, because I read this and I, to me, it was just one more indication of the uh, consequences of the Bruin decision across the country. Um, and this has been a question, especially in states like Alaska, where we are very, very gun friendly, but at the same time, the legalization of marijuana threw a lot of questions into the air about um, whether or not somebody could be a casual recreational marijuana user or a medical marijuana user and still be able to uh, exercise their Second Amendment rights. We know that if you go to a gun store and you fill out a 4473, which is the form that the government makes you fill out to buy a gun from a dealer, uh, that there's a question on there about whether or not you use cannabis. And if you fill it out wrong, you're committing a felony. And uh, so right. people get a little, you know, they get a little nervous about that. So let's talk about this decision and the ramifications and some of the other decisions that are coming out in light of Bruin. Yeah, well, so that the form you mentioned, they added uh, a bold warning to it uh, several years ago, saying even if you live in a state where marijuana is legal, it's still illegal under federal law. You still are, therefore, an unlawful user of a controlled substance, which means you're not allowed to own a gun, not allowed to buy it, not allowed to possess it, not allowed to own it. Not allowed to use it for any any purpose, um, and that in itself, just just possessing it, is a federal felony punishable by now up to fifteen years in prison. They just increased the penalty uh, last year. Um, you mentioned if you if you if you say I don't use uh, you know marijuana and you do, that's another felony with a maximum penalty of ten years in prison. And there is a third felony, which they also recently created with the uh, this was the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act that the Congress passed last year. Right. It created a, a new crime known as trafficking in firearms. And that sounds like it's aimed at, you know, people who supply criminals with guns. That Straw sort of purchasers, thing. right. But it's defined so broadly that it includes receiving a, a firearm when that transaction is a felony. And so for a marijuana user, it's a felony for you to receive it. Therefore, it's another felony, also punishable by up to 15 years in prison when it's it, when it's viewed as trafficking in firearms. So, you know, these are really draconian penalties. Obviously, uh, you know, most marijuana users who own guns don't actually get prosecuted, but potentially they can be. And the rationale has never been 
uh, adequately explained. Uh, this was a, uh, the, the original rule was adopted uh, in, by the Gun Control Act of 1968. And the assumption was if you used any kind of illegal drugs, you were manifestly uh, uh, unsuitable as a gun owner. N and nobody really questioned it if you go back and look at the debates. Uh, and then over the years, as, as states have begun to allow first medical use and now recreational use, and you've got, uh, what, 37 states that allow medical use now, um, 21 states uh, allow recreational use, uh, this, is, this, this issue has start, started to come to the fore because people are openly uh, buying marijuana, which is allowed by their state for either medical or recreational use, but they still are not legally allowed to own guns or to or to buy guns right uh, um so, uh the, the the first lawsuit on this issue that that uh uh well no there have been uh, there have been various lawsuits over the years i guess i should say and basically the the courts generally had said prior to bruin they had said this looks okay to us we think drug use is associated with violence and so that seems rational to me good enough that's basically what the court said now, after Bruin, we had first a lawsuit in, in Florida uh, where the, uh, the commissioner of, of agriculture and consumer affairs, who has responsibilities over both marijuana and uh, carry permits, filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration saying it's not right that Florida medical marijuana patients uh, have to choose between the medicine that helps them and their Second Amendment rights. They should be able to right. have both. Right. Um, and, and that case was uh, that lawsuit was dismissed last fall. A federal judge who uh, supposedly applied the Bruin test and under the Bruin test, you have to show that there is there is historical precedent for this sort of policy. Right. That this is consistent with the nation's uh, tradition of regulating firearms, meaning that it's consistent with the way the right to, to arms was historically understood. And he, he cited laws from uh, uh, the 19th century and earlier that said, if you're intoxicated, you either can't carry, you shouldn't carry a gun in public or uh, you can't fire a gun, right? right Which is right. aimed at addressing specific kinds of reckless behavior. Right, well- and he said that was close enough, even right. though the, the current federal ban it doesn't apply just to you know uh, marijuana users when they're stoned. It applies all the time. Well, meaning, meaning, whether you're intoxicated or not, you're not allowed to have a gun. Well, and so it's not really analogous. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's the interesting part. That's the sorry, interesting. I'm sorry. That's the interesting part of Bruin is that now they brought in this historical precedent thing, and you're seeing all these cases and these prosecutors and these uh, uh, these you know federal prosecutors and the attorneys are reaching deep into the bag to try and find some obscure law in some colony or some area that had something. But it's always, I mean, the one thing you miss there is, you know, it was very specific things. They couldn't carry a gun in public or shoot it, but it also said that they had to be intoxicated. And so, right. you know, that's the thing that I think people are missing here is that they're trying to pick and choose and cherry pick these things. But I know this judge in this case went after some of that stuff. So I'm sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to comment on that. Go ahead. Yeah. Yes, but this is the uh, the more recent case in Oklahoma where a judge reached the opposite conclusion. Um, this is, was involving a guy who, who during a traffic stop, he was he was found with both marijuana and a, a loaded revolver. Uh, now, 
the marijuana, actually for him, it wasn't actually legal in Oklahoma because he wasn't a medical user. But for a medical user, it would be legal under state law. Certainly the gun would be legal under state law. But if you combine those two things, it's a, it's a federal uh, felony. Uh, and the judge in this case looked closely at those historical precedents and said, these are not like this policy because, uh, like you said, they applied only when people were intoxicated and only in particular contexts too, right? Uh, it, you know, public possession or possession in particular places when you're drunk, basically, you shouldn't be carrying a gun in certain places, public places, and you, or, or, or some, and under some laws, you shouldn't be firing them when you're drunk. So you can understand why they might have thought that was a, right. a good policy. Exactly. But that is not the same as saying anybody who uses marijuana can never have, possess a gun in, in, under, under any circumstance. Um, and so he pointed that out. And so, the, the, you know, this just illustrates that come up uh, after Bruin, uh, what's, you know, what kinds of precedents are close enough? You know, how analogous does it have to be? Um, the government tried to argue that as just as a preliminary matter, that uh, marijuana users don't even count as part of the people, the people who are protected by the Second Amendment. Right. Because that those people only include law abiding citizens. And if you're a marijuana user, you're not a law abiding citizen. And the judge thought that was not just ahistorical, but inconsistent with what the Supreme Court has said. The Supreme Court has said the people are the people. You right. know, the people you know, under under that amendment are the same as the people elsewhere in the Constitution. It means the citizenry in general. Right. Um, so he didn't buy that part. So he said, given that they're part of the people and given that, you know, possessing a, you know, a revolver is obviously covered by the Second Amendment, we have to look for historical precedent that would justify this. And the examples that the government cited just were, were not persuasive. They also claimed uh, that the Second Amendment only applies to people who are virtuous, whatever that means, <laughs> uh, only applies to people who are trustworthy. Right. And by the way, for the trustworthy thing, they're reaching back to some really horrifying precedents like, well, they didn't let Indians own guns, you know, right, right. Uh, they didn't let black people own guns right. because they didn't try or, or Catholics, right? right, because they didn't trust them. And so if you're not trust trustworthy, <laughs> then, of course, that is to a totally open ended justification. If, right. if the government decides uh, uh, you're not trustworthy, therefore you can't own a gun, they could extend that to virtually anyone. Uh, say, same thing with um, people guilty of felonies. And this is a, very interesting because this extends to another prohibited category, right? If you have a felony record, you're not, not allowed to either, no matter what kind of felony it was, whether it involved violence or not, even whether it involved a victim or not. Lots of people with, with drug uh, records uh, are not allowed to own guns, even though they never you know, uh, committed violent crimes, never uh, uh, victimized anyone. Um, so, you know, the, the government in this case said, well, the, even though, you know, this is not this guy hasn't been convicted of a felony in uh, drug users in general and acquiring drugs, you know, commit felonious conduct, which isn't necessarily true, by the way, that can be a misdemeanor and not, not a it depends on the drug, it depends on the quantity. But but the idea was we can assume that if they're drug users, they're doing something that's that's felonious or close to it. Right. And the judge in this case said. That's not good enough because that means the government can define it, define anything as a felony and then say, because 
you've done this. You may whether even whether you're convicted or not, because right the case he's convicted of a felony. You, you don't have a right to own guns. And he gave the example of suppose New York State, because it was upset by Bruin, where they you know the, the Supreme Court uh, uh, re rejected New York's uh, uh, strict regulations for public carry. Suppose they're upset about that, and they decide we're going to make mowing mowing your lawn a felony meaning that anybody who mows their lawn isn't allowed to own a gun. Right. Presumpt and, and he, presumptively, right? Presumptively right, with right. no, no trial, judge, no due process. Right. And the judge put this question to the, the justice department's lawyers. What if the estate decided to do that and said, therefore, since this is now a felony, all of these people are not allowed to own guns. Would that be okay? Would that be constitutional? And the government said, yes. So, <laughs> so this is this is the problem, and this is the you know part of the broader argument today, which you've seen people like Amy Coney uh, Barrett weigh in on, is that uh, there's so many more felonies now than there used to be, covering all a wide range of behavior, uh, much of which is is relatively trivial, uh, some of which you know does victimize people but is not violent, some of which doesn't victimize anyone, like you know the drug drug right. crimes being the, the major example. Um, how can it be that all of these people are excluded from the Second Amendment? Right. Um, is that historically consistent? Um, and, and, and when it comes to specifically the thing we're talking about, which is drug use, go back to the 19th century. Uh, what were the drug laws? There was no such crime as smoking marijuana. That was not a crime. Uh, you know, uh, cannabis, opium, cocaine, morphine, all of these things were available over the counter, you know, with yeah. that over the counter, no yeah. prescription. Yeah. They were widely consumed in patent medicine. So ask yourself, uh, let's go to the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment made the Second Amendment applicable to state and local governments. At the time that that was ratified, is it reasonable to think that that Americans generally would have thought if you want to have a right to arms, you have to avoid all of these products? Right. And that if you use any of those products, then you've lost your Second Amendment rights, or if you lost, if you lost, you've lost your gun rights under under state constitution. And it seems highly implausible that they they, they would have thought that. They right. certainly didn't think that about drinkers, right? We mentioned it was only if you were drunk <laughs> that, yeah, the, right. that these these laws applied. So it wasn't that all drinkers in general lost their their gun rights, right? Um, and I think that would have struck people back then as an absurd proposition. Jacob, this uh, this court case took place again in Oklahoma. It's only one federal judge. And as you said, the judge in Florida decided that it was A-OK. -okay. But I think what we're seeing here with this and a couple of the other cases we're going to talk about in the next segment is that there is a shift. There's a, there's a paradigm shift happening where more and more judges applying things through the Bruin ruling um, means that we're probably going to see more of these uh court cases at the various levels, there's going to be some dueling court cases and the Supremes might have to weigh in again on it in the future as you get dueling circuit decisions, right? Yes, I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, the, the, the cases that are most directly related to Bruin are the ones coming out of states that responded to Bruin by, by basically by saying, okay, we're going to start issuing carry permits, but we're not going to let you use them. Because we're going to tell you right. that here's a long list of places we are not allowed to have a gun. And in both New York and New Jersey, that list of places included private property, which is a pretty broad category. Right. That's exactly. uh, basically almost the entire state with the proviso that 
uh, the owner of certain kinds of pri private property could allow guns if they post signs to that effect. They give explicit permission to you. Um, but that obviously that's a huge barrier. And then there are other categories of property where it doesn't matter what, what the owner thinks or what the owner says. It's not a lot at all. So entertainment venues and bars and restaurants and this sort of thing, just a, a blanket ban. Um, and federal judges in, in, uh, in uh, New York have said uh, this is very clearly uh, inconsistent with Bruin. Um, this is... Uh, this is not part, you know, this is not uh, consistent with what the Supreme Court said about sensitive places, because the argument was there historically have been bans on guns in particular sensitive places. But that list seems to be pretty short, you know, yeah, it's things exactly. like, like like courthouses and polling places and, and possibly, you know, schools. Right. Um, but not basically every every business open to the public right any which, building outside is, of your own home is, essentially uh, you couldn't leave your home you know yeah. it'd be about the only place you could carry concealed which seems a little uh uh i guess uh well it's bad all right uh jacob Sullivan, reason magazine our guest we continue the michael luke show we'll be back with more right after this Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the, on the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. In the break right now, Jacob Sellum is our guest. Um, you know, Jacob, I really, there's a couple pieces in here, a couple places in here where you uh you know really i think nail it and the judge wyrick really nails this too when they and again this is what i found fascinating is that there are many of these um uh many of these lawyers are you know dipping into the way back machine to try and find some obscure law that says you can't do this you can't do that but it came to the point to where one they said Nothing in here mentions the possession of a firearm. None of the laws appear to have prohibited the mere possession of a firearm. And in fact, all the laws they cited deal with people who are actively intoxicated. This had nothing to do with whether or not you had a drink on a Friday night and you couldn't go shooting on Saturday or you smoked a joint on Friday night and you could, you know, it had nothing to do with that. But that's what they keep trying to say is that merely the possession of the intoxicant. And what I find ironic is that nobody's talking about alcohol here, right? I mean, how many accidents or crimes or whatever are committed while somebody is inebriated uh, under alcohol? Nobody's talking about that. But boy, if you use pot, you're not trustworthy. You're not this. You're not that. Uh, I, I just I find that reaching into the Wayback Machine to be a very interesting component of this as they try to justify their arguments. Yeah, I mean, you you have to look at the specifics. Uh, of what the you know the, the laws actually said, that's crucial. You also have to try to figure out was this an outlier, right? Because maybe one territory adopted some kind of crazy law that nobody else thought was consistent with the Constitution. Um, so those, yeah, I mean, these are the issues. You, and they, obviously, there's room for for argument about that, that sort of thing, right? If you have a few laws that seem sort of like the current policy, is that good enough? Or uh, you know, different judges will come to different conclusions. But you at least have to make a, a persuasive, logical argument that here that this is analogous for these reasons. And so what would be analogous to the current policy 
regarding uh, cannabis consumers would be to say no, drinkers may not own guns. Yeah. Not alcohol, not active yeah. al alcoholics, not people who are intoxicated shouldn't right. handle guns when they're intoxicated. Yeah. But no drinker in America may own a gun. Right. You got a bottle of scotch uh, on your shelf from the Christmas party. You're now a prohibited person, essentially. Yeah. Now, if you give it up, if you stop drinking, become a teetotaler, then you can have your Second Amendment rights back. Unlike, by the way, <laughs> the people who exactly. have, you know, dr drug convictions of the record, they're forever banned or, or people who, you know, underwent involuntary psychiatric treatment at one point say they were deemed suicidal 30 years later they're fine they're happy now they're recovered whatever they still can't own a gun yeah um right, so these kind of lifelong prohibitions are really hard to justify uh simply in, in terms of logic or 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 as a as a matter of public safety right but also i think constitutionally because the whole, the whole, this is Barrett's point, is if you look at the history, it, it wasn't were people virtuous. It wasn't were people trustworthy. It wasn't, you know, had they been convicted of crimes that were described as felonies by the legislature. It was, the, the, what she, she found was that the unifying theme was these are people who have shown themselves to be dangerous. Right. Right. The danger, now we can, yeah. And we can argue over what that requires, right? But obviously... If you commit violent felonies, that shows you're dangerous, right? Right. Now, are you are you dangerous forever? Maybe not. So if you get into a barroom brawl in your 20s and you, you know, have a, a felony assault conviction. Um, but now you're middle aged, you've calmed down, you're you're productive, responsible and law abiding. You still can't own a gun. And that doesn't seem right either. Well, I think that this is going to be uh, if it does, you know, if it, if some of these things and I think they will end up in front of the Supreme Court uh, again, you just mentioned Amy Coney Barrett. I mean, she has spoken out multiple times about this and not just about people who are drug users, but people who have been uh, convicted of a crime punishable by more than one year. And that's the thing. Anyone who's been convicted of a crime punishable by one year, whether it involved violence or not, is forbidden to possess a gun, any crime for more than one year. And right. She's and taken it's actually, issue so people uh, tend to the shorthand for that is felonies. And it's not completely true because there are some felonies. Somebody called this to my attention <laughs> a few years ago. There are some felonies in some states. It's treated as a felony, but not not punishable by more than a year, which means it doesn't count under federal law as a disqualifier. Right. By the same by the same token, there are certain misdemeanors that can can disqualify you. Um, you know, if they if they involve domestic violence, for example, um, and uh, there is certain uh, state crime that even though they are punishable by more than a year of incarceration, um, they they can be not deemed uh, you know disqualifying under federal law. Then state laws, each state has its own rules. So if you look at the rules in California, the list is longer than the federal rules. Right. Right. Um, and and you have to keep track of all of that. But now, because of this, the bipartisan uh, Safer Communities Act, these two things interact. Let's uh, we're going to jump back into it here. Uh, uh, we're continuing with Jacob Sullum, the Michael Duke show, Common Sense Radio. Please like it, share and hit subscribe. Ring the bell on YouTube. Here we go.
All right, we are continuing now with Jacob Sullum, who's a senior editor over there at Reason Magazine. You can find his articles up at Reason.com. I've posted the link to his latest piece up in the chat room if you want to jump over there and take a look at it. Otherwise, you could just go to Reason.com and search up his name. He writes on all kinds of things, including drug policy, public health, gun control, criminal justice, and more. His most latest, his most latest, his latest piece, good Lord, a federal judge says that the ban on gun possession by cannabis consumers is unconstitutional. And we're just finishing up with that because I want to move on. This is just one of many uh, decisions lately, Jacob. And I think the last time we were together, we talked a little bit about this. But we're seeing the landscape around federal gun laws change. And we're seeing more and more that these judges have to apply the Bruin decision, which I have said uh, since since it passed, I have said this is going to be a game changer for gun policy and especially uh, against gun laws in America because it basically finds that the Second Amendment, like the First Amendment and the the Third, the Fourth, the Fifth, like all the Bill of Rights, is pretty inviolate. And it has to be a pretty egregious offense for somebody to lose some of those rights. Now we're seeing the decision from the federal uh, courts on things like the bump stock ban, where they declared that the ATF overreached their authority on that. Uh, in declaring it uh, illegal, and they said that's unconstitutional. I think it's exactly the same logic that's going to be applied now in the new case on the uh, arm braces that are coming out because they did exactly this. The procedure was almost identical to what they did with bump stocks, and I'm sure the courts are going to fine for that as well. But you're seeing more and more of these cases. The most recent one was the case uh, discussing um, uh, people who had domestic violence restraining orders. Now, that immediately tries to throw some red flags for people because they're like, oh, domestic, but we don't want those guys to have guns. The problem is, is that it's not a conviction. It is a, if you have had a domestic violence restraining order placed against you, you haven't been convicted. It's not tried in a court of law. There's no due process or anything else. It could be a case of he said, she said, or he said, he said, or what, I mean, however you want to break it down. But basically that would prohibit you from owning a gun. And now the courts have found you can't do that. That violates their rights because, again, there's been no due process on that. Lautenberg Amendment ones, which is a conviction, is something different. Uh, I know you've probably been following this. Give me your thoughts. Yes, I mean, and the the question, again, is uh, it, can you find a, a, an historical analogy that is close enough, right? And there's, in that case, the Fifth Circuit said no. Um, and in some ways, this is, uh, this is analogous to what happens with red flag laws, right? Where you don't have a trial where you're convicted of a crime, uh, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt you have, if you're lucky, you have a hearing, you know, initially you don't have a hearing at all, but right. eventually you get a hearing and then the standard of proof is, is, uh, much weaker. Um, and you don't have a right to a court appointed lawyer. So people can very easily lose their rights based on allegations that may not be well-founded. Um, and so that's a due process question, but it's also a Second Amendment issue, right? Right. Um, and, and I think um, policies that people that, were, that are often depicted as commonsensical nowadays, at least by you know, Democrats, um, may turn out to be not constitutional uh, because we, we can't say that they're consistent with a, a long-standing historical tradition. Um, the uh, cases involving um, well, the Supreme Court uh, issued its decision in Bruin 
it vacated uh, four decisions by uh, federal appeals courts that upheld uh, assault weapon bans and limits on magazine capacity. And so the court didn't say you had it, you got it wrong, but it said you need to go reconsider these decisions in light of Bruin. Um, and that's, it's going to be hard. There was a case in, in, in Colorado um, involving a local assault weapon ban where a federal judge said the burden is on the city to show that this sort of thing, batting this broad category of guns that are uh, in common use for lawful purposes, that that is something that has a, a, an historical pedigree. And now this was just at the stage for a, a temporary restraining order, so he didn't fully resolve the case. But he said, this, this is your burden, and so far you have not met it, and I'm skeptical that you're going to be able to, because what, what you know, what obscure law are they going to find where that that's that banned a, you know an entire class of weapons that were in common use for lawful purposes? And again, that's that's what the Supreme Court has said is covered by the Second Amendment. So-called assault weapons are very clearly in common use for lawful purposes. Uh, magazines that hold more than ten rounds are very clearly in common use for law, lawful purposes, right? Right. So, so given that um, uh, they're covered by the Second Amendment, and the only question is whether you can say that this ban is some is consistent with the the tradition of regulating firearms and that's going to be very tough uh for cities and states to show um and uh, that because they can no longer say we think this will protect public safety and that benefit outweighs whatever burden it imposes on right on gun owners because the supreme court explicitly said you're not allowed to do that anymore you can't do this this way Right. You know, basically, the framers already did the weighing. The framers did the weighing. Right. Right. They could have said the dangers of letting you know people own guns are too great for us to tolerate, and there wouldn't have been a Second Amendment at all. Uh, but they didn't say that. You know, same thing with you know the First Amendment. They could have said, "Well, we're worried about the dangers of of, of unfettered speech, and so the government should be allowed to regulate speech." But that's not what they decided. So, in the same way, in the First Amendment case, you don't say, "Well, this speech is pretty awful right. and and doesn't have much value." So we think it's okay to to censor it. You can't do that right. in the First Amendment case. We've, we, and so now the same thing is true for Second Amendment cases. You can't do this sort of ad hoc weighing of pros and cons or, or you know, a policy analysis when you're trying to decide whether a given law is constitutional. I, I love the idea that somehow you would have to go to the government and beg permission to get on social media to be able to say things because you're trustworthy or of good moral character or whatever. People would not stand for that, but because sure, it's – I mean, yeah. You can make a case for it. Absolutely. Look, I just wrote the, uh, yesterday a, a post about this New York Times story where they're they're talking about the government, uh, you know, pressuring social media platforms to suppress certain kinds of content. And they're very worried about a case challenging a First Amendment case, challenging that practice, because uh, this kind of speech is a threat to public health and it's a threat to democracy itself. And I'm like, well, this is really an argument against the First Amendment. This is not yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not an argument about uh, about yeah. a particular lawsuit. You're just saying you don't like the consequences of freedom of speech, and there's no question that freedom of speech has certain bad consequences, right? Right. I mean, that's oh yeah, well, but, well recognized. It's just that it's worse. Those consequences are not as bad as what would happen if the government were empowered to regulate speech, you know, in, yeah. in the name of the public interest. So it's the same kind of you know the, that that weighing basically. These take 
that kind of ad hoc weighing out of the hands of policymakers. Yeah, I just say the answer to speech you don't agree with is more speech. That's what should be the answer. Uh, you know, argue against whatever you're hearing. Uh, but again, uh, play the substitution game. Any of these things against the Second Amendment, put the First Amendment in there and see how it flies and see if it still passes the smell test. Jacob Sullum, Reason Magazine, senior editor over there. You can find him at Reason.com. Uh, Jacob, thank you, my friend, for coming on board. As always, it's great to talk with you. Thank you. I'll hold the line for just a second. Folks, we're out of time for this segment. we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Hour 2, dead ahead. All right, Jacob. Um, thanks, my friend. I mean, this is good sure. stuff. I love uh, I love uh, talking about this. I love seeing it. And uh, I got to be honest, I just I love seeing more. We didn't even get into the part of the I mean, let me com- comment on this real quick before I let you go. It seems to me that after Bruin came out, uh, you know, certain states kind of threw a hissy fit. Right. Oh, well, fine. Well, you want us to do it? Then we will. In New York's cases, we'll pass all these sensitive spaces laws. So there. And then after that got partially struck down by the federal courts, New Jersey said, well, then we'll do it. And then California, oh, we'll do it. Hawaii said, we'll do it. It's like they're giving the finger to the gun owner and saying, well, we know it's unconstitutional, but we're just going to make you pay for, uh, you know, having to discover or prove whether or not it's constitutional. It's almost punitive at this point. Yeah, I mean, they really don't care. They'll push it for as far as they can. They'll, they, they need to be dragged kicking and streaming to actually recognize people's Second Amendment rights. Um, you know, California is about to pass I think, uh, the same sort of law. Um, and that will be challenged too, and it'll be overturned. I mean, if it make it particularly impossible to exercise this right, that's that's almost the same as denying it outright. Um, and there's this other issue with with in, uh, different standards for permits, like good moral character, right? That was not explicitly overturned by the Supreme Court. It was you know proper cause or good cause, that sort of thing. Um, uh, where where the focus is on on the motivation. Do you have a special need for self defense, right? They said that was not okay. Right, right. But but now they're coming in with these other ambiguous tests. Good moral character. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> no, and, and in New York and California, who decides? They're saying, they're, right. They're saying what you say on social media counts. Right. So we don't like your posts. We may decide you have bad moral character. You're not trustworthy. Uh, right. You're, you're not. Or, or you're you're bigoted. Right. This was, uh, you know, what's his name? Bonta in California explicitly said. Uh, if people, you know, um, show themselves to be uh, prejudiced or bigoted, that could be grounds for denying a permit. So if you say something, you know, racially insensitive on Twitter, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't get a carry permit. Um, you know, that crazy, and that's so that raises these First Amendment issues as well as the Second Amendment issues, right? Um, and that's you know, it's going to take a while to play out. Well, and that's what we're seeing now in the New York Concealed Carry Improvement Act arguments that uh, even inst- even places like the Knights First Institute, uh, First Amendment Institute at Columbia University has joined on in favor of Second Amendment owners. I mean, that's not a bastion of conservative thought or free, you know, free rights or whatever. But even they said, "Ooh, this is a chilling effect on the First Amendment. You can't do that. And they're, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to glom all that uh, together. And uh, it, it is. It's punitive. And oh, yeah, by the way, not as it just punitive to gun owners, as Brian in the chat room says, and it's giving the finger to the Supreme Court, basically saying, oh, you think that, you know, we know better than you kind of thing. That's what the states right. are saying right now. And, and, you know, I don't know if you notice San Francisco, 
they didn't even for seven months went by and they didn't issue a single carry permit and they hadn't issued basically hadn't issued carry permits in years san francisco just, it was no yeah. san francisco yeah. it was notionally available but no one was actually they were never actually issued right so so the, the supreme court said you yeah, can't do that anymore and san francisco was like huh we we're at a loss because we've never had to actually issue carry permits. We don't know how to do that. We need a whole new system. This is their excuse for, for right, dragging it out. Right. And then just just recently, after I think more than seven months, they finally issued their first new carry permit. Um, and you know that's just brazen. I think. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, you know we'll drag it out as long as we can without you know b before you sue us, and then and then once you're threatening to sue us, maybe we'll issue a permit or two. Um, and meanwhile, they're waiting for the state legislation that will make those carry permits much less useful. Right, right. So you have one, but there's almost nowhere in San Francisco you can go where right. you're allowed to, to have the gun. Well, you think that they would learn, uh, but uh, unfortunately, I think this is the new normal is that the states are going to fight back, especially those liberal states are going to push back on gun owners. They're going to create all these spaces where they're sensitive and blah, blah, blah. And people are going to have to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of fighting it all the way back up to the Supreme Court again to have the Supreme Court said, hey, we told you before you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll change tax again. But I think that's the that's the battle we're facing right now. So, yeah, I mean, look, this happened after Heller. Um, you know, look, Supreme Court neglected the, the, the Second Amendment for, for a very long time. Then they finally weighed in in Heller. Um, but still, you know, for, for years after that, there were all of these highly restrictive laws that were being right. upheld uh, using that kind of ad hoc, you know, cost benefit analysis. Um, and so finally... It's the you know, report said, uh, well, this is 2022. So it was, uh, what, 14 years later, right? Right. 14 years later, uh, they're like, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we meant to say that earlier that you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. But we want to make very clear you can't do that. Right. So that yeah. was important. Yeah. But still, you, there's, there's, there's a wiggle room, at least as perceived by these legislators. And they're going to have to weigh in again. Well, and I think the Supreme Court has shown itself to be more receptive to these cases now. Um, and there's some talk. There's already some other cases that are going to that are on the potential docket. So we'll see how that works out. Um, but, yeah, I think this is the new fight. This is the new fight that we have right now. Um, Jacob Sellum, Reason Magazine, my friend, keep fighting this fight. Keep keep reporting on this. I appreciate uh, all your uh, writing on this and pretty much every other topic you cover. I appreciate you being on the show, and uh, thank you for all your do. Sure. Thank you. Jacob Sellum of Reason Magazine. You can find him again at reason.com uh, if you want to go over there and see what he has to say and get a good hot take on uh, a lot of issues of the day. All right. Uh, we're coming up on it. Hour two is dead ahead, I suppose. We'll open up the phone lines and do a little open line, open forum Q&A. I got some other stories as well. Um, it is good stuff. We will continue right now uh, with your uh, common sense gun radio today because it is firearms. Fr I got to turn all this stuff off. I forgot. Firearms Friday. We appreciate you guys uh, being part of it. Here we go. Hour two is right now.
Three. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns. One for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. It's my rifle, it's my gun, it's for the Firearms Friday. Yep, Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a Second Amendment nature. Right here on the Michael Duke Show. Good morning and welcome to the program. Uh, we're continuing now. We just finished up with Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine. Uh, great discussion on the ramifications of the Supreme Court's Bruin decision and what it means for gun owners in America, what it means for those anti-gun states that want to hold people back and keep them from being able to uh, uh, participate and exercise the right. And uh, and like I said, I, I just was saying with Jacob uh, there in the break, I think this is going to be the this is going to be the new fight. This is the new battle that we're fighting is now going to be a battle, not necessarily of legislation, but this is going to be a battle now for the courts. Uh, we're going to see more and more of these states, especially states who are more liberal in nature and who are more positive and affirmative to and receptive, I guess, to actions of gun control, they are going to be the ones that are, uh, you know, that are going to be pushing back on this. And we've already seen it. New York, New Jersey, California, Hawaii, they've already put all these sensitive space laws into uh, uh, into effect. And that's something that the Supreme Court and other federal courts have ruled. I mean, you know, this is the problem. So so let me just let me just break it down for you real quick. By the way, phone lines are open if you'd like to sound off at 907-433-3150. Um, open up the phone lines now if you want to come in and be part of it. Feel free to do so. 907-433-3150. Powered by our friends over there at Satellite West, uh, where you can find them at SatelliteWest.com uh, for connectivity all over the state from Kodiak to Cake. Uh, from uh, uh, you know from from Fairbanks to Matsu all the way up to Anaktuvik Pass, Uktavik, uh, Kobuk, Kotzebue, Ketchikan, all the K words wherever it is. Satellite West has got you covered. SatelliteWest.com. But here here's the issue. Bruin issued the decision that said no, you cannot basically deny the rights of these people based on a shall issue, may issue kind of having them have to justify. They're exercising the Second Amendments. The states threw a hissy fit and said, okay, fine, we'll issue permits, but then we'll make it so restrictive with all these sensitive spaces and no guns on private property and everything else that essentially you can't leave your home with a concealed handgun and still be legal. And now the courts are coming back to say, well, that that can't work because basically 
uh, a right denied is is a right that's broken. You can't, you know, you can't I- in interfere and uh, uh, and stop people's rights to keep and bear arms. And now, again, you're seeing other states who are copying New York to say, well, if New York can do it, we'll do it, too. New Jersey's done it. California's do, do, uh, doing it. Uh, Hawaii is putting it in right now where they're creating these huge swaths of sensitive spaces where you just can't you can't ride it on a subway. You can't write, you know, a thing. No, pri- you can't go into private property unless they've posted a sign that says you can carry. But, my God, how do you get from your house to the place? You know, you can't go to church and do it. And there's churches who are fighting back against this to say we need to be able to protect ourselves. And so the problem is that is that, you know, they're basically denying you the right to the Second Amendment through these arbitrary laws designating where these safe spaces are, these sensitive spaces are. And so this is the new fight. The new fight is going to be in the courts. It's not going to be through legislation, I don't believe. I believe that we're going to see court case after court case that's going to have to come up. And these things are expensive. Hundreds of thousands. You go to the Supreme Court, it's a million-dollar case. So if you want to throw some money around at these things, find an organization that supports it, the Second Amendment Foundation or the Firearms Policy Coalition or anybody else who's fighting these battles because that is where the new battle for gun control is, uh, is in these areas. All right. Um, so phone lines are open and we can talk about whatever it is that you want to talk about going into the uh, going into the next uh, going into this next segment. We've got coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to be joined by Top Shot champion Chris Chang. He's going to come on board and talk with us about, um, well, things that are happening in California. I think we want to talk to him. Jacob Sullivan was just seeing, saying that, you know, recently in San Francisco, they had been ordered that they had to issue concealed carry permits and they said, okay, we'll do that. And then for seven months, they did nothing. And then finally the courts came in and said, Hey, you, you can't, you can't again, uh, a, a right delay is a right denied, right? That's what they're basically saying. And so San Francisco said, well, we've never issued a concealed, so we don't really know how to do it. So that was another reason why they could delay it and everything else. Well, they just recently uh, issued their first concealed carry permit in San Francisco. They were delaying. They were waiting. They were hoping that the state legislature would weigh in and create this sensitive space law uh, that they could uh, that they could push on and hope that it was all you know good to go. Um, but it's not happening. Um, and so more and more, this is where the battle is going to be. It's now going to be in the court systems, but it's interesting that we're starting to see more, uh, again, diverse organizations start to support these things, not necessarily as a, uh, support or as supporters of the second amendment, but in the case of the New York concealed carry improvement act, we're seeing organizations like the Knight first amendment Institute at Columbia university, filing an amicus in support of knocking down this law over First Amendment issues. Because, again, now they're coming down to good moral character and trustworthiness, and this is what you have to prove to be able to get a permit. And the question is, who decides what's trustworthy? Who decides what's, um, what's uh, you know good moral character? Who decides that? Uh, and if you have to be in fear of something that you said 10 years ago or 15 years ago on social media, I mean, how many of you have not changed your mind in 10 or 15 years on uh, on an issue or changed a position or learn more? You know, if uh, if I'm looking back now in my 50s at my 20 year old self, at some of the views that I held then, I've realized that my views have changed, matured, evolved. Um, 
if I was being held responsible today for beliefs and things that I said back in my 20s, we'd have a problem. But that's where we're at today. Uh, All right. Uh, We got some other stories, but I guess first things first, we've got a line on hold. So we'll take some calls here for gun Q&A today. Let's go over here and uh, get started. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, I'm Michael. It's uh, Fred in Rhode Island. How you been? Hey, Fred. Uh, what's happening, sir? What's uh, what's on your mind today? Well, calling in. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great show as usual, as, as always. And the uh, point I want to make today is, I mean, this whole gun control thing has always been nothing but a political a political ploy. I mean, you know, I, it's all political. They sit there and they claim that's the safety of children and this and that and the other thing and, you know, the school, school shootings. It's all, their whole their whole take on this whole thing is nothing more than political. I mean, it's overly obvious it's political because, you know, their, their, their approach to this thing is, you know, when you sit there and you give them logical pushback, you know, realistic logical pushback as to why their approach or why their, why their actions are unconstitutional, they get all they get all riled, and they're not going to give it up. You know, I mean, if they were if they were sincere about it, they'd look at the logic the logic behind it and say, well, yeah, maybe it is wrong. The way we're going about it is totally totally unconstitutional, and we shouldn't be doing that. But right. you think they'd have the morality to do that? Of course not. Right. They don't care. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's the thing. They know. That what they're doing, I mean, they they had hoped what they're doing would continue to pass muster. And as Jacob Sullum just said, I mean, for years, they got away with it because the Supreme Court didn't want to weigh in on these Second Amendment issues. But first with Heller, and then, of course, there was a whole spate of different law changes and everything to try and accommodate Heller and still accomplish what they wanted to accomplish, which was the disarmament of the average American. And now with Bruin, it's getting harder and harder for them to do it. But it's like I said, it's become punitive. They're like, oh, well, you want a permit? Well, fine, we'll give you a permit, but you got to jump through all these hoops, and you basically can't go anywhere. You can't take it out of your house. You can't ride the transit system. You can't do this. You can't go into public parks. You can't go into Times Square. You can't go into a church. You can't go into private property. But feel free to take that carry permit and do what you can with it. And I think the courts are going to have to step in and do the same thing. They still want what they want, which is the disarmament of America, because they believe better than you that they know how we should live our lives and what makes us safer. What they fail to recognize again and again and again is that criminals, by their very definition, break the law. So all the law is doing is disarming law-abiding citizens. Exactly. That's the whole. That's the whole point. You know, they don't care about making the streets safer, getting getting criminals, getting criminals out of the scene. They don't care about that. Their whole thing is to disarm America. And 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 where, once again, I'll put it out there. Where does this come from? Where is the origin? What is the driving force behind this? You know, and I have some serious suspicions as to where, you know, what the what these origins are. You know, I think that they're few and far and few in between, but they do exist. You know, and I think we should really be looking at where they are because I think you get to that, you're gonna uncover the world's greatest lie ever told. Right. Really. Yeah. Well, I uh, I agree with you, Fred. I think that that's well, that's where I I, I agree uh-oh. with you, Fred. That's where we're going. I think that that's what the problem is, and I think you're right. I think we're going to see we're kind of getting a peek right now behind the curtain, and I think in the you know it'll show us in the future that what they really wanted to do. This was you know it's what the old saying is is that gun control is not about guns; it's really about control. 
And I think that's what they want to do because, again, they believe that somehow they know better than us how these things should happen and what should go on there. Um, and, uh, you know, my only hope uh, is, is that yeah. we don't stumble here I, as we're I, close I, to it. Well, if they, can, if they can overturn the Second Amendment out of a right, they can overturn anything out of a right. You know, and there, are, there won't be any right. I mean, we definitely got to dig our heels in and give them, you know, push them back. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, in Jacob Sullum's latest article, he talks about what I found mind blowing was, again, this judge put an argument forward and he basically said, you know, if you can say that this is a felony or that this is bad or this is wrong, he used the idea of the lawn mowing thing. He said, you know, imagine a world where the state of New York to end run the adverse judgment it received in Bruin could make mowing one's lawn a felony so that it could then strip away all its newly deemed felons of their right to possess a firearm. And he actually posed that 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 question to the government's lawyers. And he said, remarkably, when presented with this lawn mowing hypothetical argument and asked if such an approach would be consistent with the Second Amendment, the United States government said yes. So in the federal government's view, a state or a federal government could deem anything at all to be a felony and then strip those convicted of that felony, no matter how innocuous or stupid or ridiculous, of their fundamental rights to possess a firearm. That's the direction that they want to go. Pretty soon, if all you has to do to be is to be a felon, then they'll do whatever they can to make you a felon so that you can't do it. And, and we already know that the average person breaks a couple, three laws a day because there's so many laws in the books that we're not even aware of. But remember, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Uh, Fred, I appreciate you calling in, my friend. Okay. We got to uh, we got to fly here. Thank you for being part of it today. We're going to jump into this here with. Uh, Chris Chang up next. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more right after this. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um, Yeah. So uh, this is great. Uh, I did not. I have not read the hand waving freak outery yet uh, on this. I saw the link in the uh, Common Sense Core uh, page, uh, Brian, but I have not read it yet. So I'm going to go over there and uh, I'm going to. I need to do that today. I saw it. He writes some amazing stuff. If you haven't read his, uh, if you haven't read his article on the mathematical case for the, what's it called? It's got a cool. It's got a funny title. The mathematical case for the tinfoil gun prepper, I think, is what the uh, is what the name of the article is. The guy, it's uh, his name is uh, I think his name is Brian as well. Over at Hand Waving Freak Outery, I've reached out to him. I wanted to invite him on the program and discuss it. It is, uh, it's amazing. Uh, he writes some really good stuff. Uh, so he's over on Stub on Substack. So you can just uh, Google Hand Waving Freak Outery. Uh, freak outery is one word. If you Google that, you should be able to find it over on Substack. Uh, all right. Well, we're coming into it here. Uh, Chris Chang is now in the green room and we're ready to get things kind of squared away and set up for our next segment. Um, folks, before I go over to Chris, make sure that uh, you do me a favor. Where are we at today? How many, how many subscribers? 410 subscribers. We went up, uh, four, we went up four or five here in the last few days. That means I'm only 
590 subscribers away from being at the thousand on YouTube that we need to get to make the move. I don't know, man. I got 4,000 people that follow me on Facebook. I can't get them to just click the button and go over to just subscribe. You don't even have to watch on Facebook. So if you're watching it this morning on Facebook and you're like, I like Facebook. I don't like YouTube. Fine. At least go over on your YouTube account and hit subscribe so we can uh, so we can do something there. Would you? Would you? Would you be? Would you do me a flavor? Do that. All right. Enough of the begging. Let's get over to uh, let's get over to Chris because begging is so unbecoming. Oh, let's go over here. Uh, Chris Chang, Top Shot Champion, Season Four, uh, joins us this morning to discuss everything. Hello, my friend. How are you doing this morning? Uh, I'm doing great. We're going to discuss all the things like usual. All the things. Stuff and things, Chris. That's what we're going to talk about. Stuff and things. Um, I, I got to tell you, here's here's my plan, and you can, you can hit me with whatever you want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about one, because we just finished with Jacob Sullum from Reason Magazine. He was talking about the San Francisco finally has issued their first concealed carry permit. And they were like, we just didn't know how to do it, right? So we can talk about that, because that's your home turf. Absolutely. Uh, I also want to talk about the uh, New York uh, Concealed Carry Improvement Act. Because I know that the Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association, of which you are a founder, um, is now getting involved in the legal dispute over that. Uh, And I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are on that. And kind of this punitive nature. You know, we know that Bruin is dropped a rock in a pond and the ripples of what Bruin is doing is still spreading out and making changes. But I want a commentary on kind of the punitive nature that we're seeing states, the punitive stance that states are taking. Oh, well, we know it's wrong. Oh, we'll go ahead and issue you a permit, but then we'll declare everything around your house a sensitive space. And so essentially you can only carry inside your home and be legal. We know that that's going to face legal challenge. We know that that's not in the spirit of Bruin. Uh, so I want to kind of talk about the punitive nature of that as well. So unless you've got something else to talk about, that's kind of the direction we're headed. Yeah, no, that sounds great. All very interesting and, and uh, pretty pretty interesting topics indeed. You got less than 60 seconds here, but you've been like a traveling fool. I mean, holy cow, you've been all over the place. I haven't seen you in like three months. How How's it been? It's been great, yeah. Uh, part of it, mostly it's been just personal travel, you know, the holidays, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then just some personal vacation in South America. Uh, my husband and I, we hiked Machu Picchu Mountain, and thankfully we were there before all the crazy political meltdown happened. So right. uh, there's you know, thousands of travelers who got stuck in Machu Picchu, but thankfully we were not any of those. <laughs> good, good. You made it, and that's good. Well, we're glad to have you here with us, and we appreciate you coming on board. Uh, we're about uh, 20 seconds out here, so hold the line with us. Chris Chang, Top Shot champion from uh, uh, Season 4, also author of the book Shoot to Win, and founder of the Asian American Pacific Gun Owners Association, one of the founders there. And, of course, he's, he's got a laundry list of stuff after his name. He exhausts me just to read it all. So we're going to be jumping <laughs> into that with him here in just a second. Hold the line for me, Chris. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. Not your daddy's talk radio. The Michael Duke Show. 
Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska, and this is your favorite radio station and or FM translator and live around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com. Continuing now, Chris Chang, Top Shot champion from Season 4 of the History Channel's uh, Top Shot Show, also author of the book Shoot to Win, uh, spokesperson for the National Shooting Sports Foundation in the past, also uh, one of the founders of the Asian American Pacific Gun Owners. I'm, I'm sure I butchered it. Uh, he's out there doing everything all the time. Chris Chang joins us this morning to talk guns and more. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, we just finished up with with Jacob Selim from Reason Magazine uh, talking about uh, the new court decision, basically saying that marijuana users uh, should, this is in Oklahoma and the federal courts in Oklahoma basically said, you can't deny them the right to that because of a variety of reasons, which lines up with the current case that they just talked about where you couldn't, uh, if you had a felony stock or a felony uh, uh, restraining order, uh, not felony, domestic violence restraining order, you couldn't be denied your rights because there'd been no due process, uh, you know, you, and, and everything else. And we're seeing these cases, case after case, the bump stock ban got struck down. Uh, and now it looks like the same uh, argument's going to be applied to the uh, arm brace ban and all this kind of stuff. So we're talking about Bruin and we're talking about all the different ramifications of it. And I see that uh, your organization, the uh, Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association has filed an amicus brief in the Second Circuit Court, uh, along with a bunch of other organizations, including the D.C. Project and and more, fighting back against the Concealed Carry Improvement Act in New York, which was the New York's way of basically giving the finger to the Supreme Court to say, oh, sure, you say we have to issue permits? Well, we will. But they won't be able to leave their house with them because we're going to put a ring of all these sensitive spaces out there. Tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, your organization's uh, uh, input into this. Yeah. So, you know, as we know, last summer's Bruin decision by the Supreme Court was a judicial earthquake through the whole Second Amendment community. And, you know, both sides, right, the gun rights and the gun control groups, right, we are we're all now testing previous gun control laws. Uh, and obviously we're trying to pass new gun rights laws. And so for the New York concealed carry restrictions that they're trying to push through, you know, this was an anticipated next step in the chess game for the gun grabbers. This was very much about, like you said, well, New York, they, they realize that they can't prevent the issuing of CCW permits, but now they're trying to restrict where you, you can carry. And, you know, they were trying to restrict you know, all the places basically, which which basically meant you can only conceal carry in a very few number of places. And so that's naturally going to get, you know, I, I think we're going to win the challenge. And what's happening across the country is you've got states like New York, you've got states like Illinois and California who are trying to either challenge the Bruin decision in, in ways big and small like this, California, you know, we're, you know, our governor here is also, you know, planning and scheming to undo the freedom and the liberty that the Bruin decision provided for the Second Amendment. And so we're going to see a lot more of these challenges come up from the local and state levels. But uh, APA GOA, which is the Asian Pacific American Gun Owners Association, we're very proud to join with other pro-Second Amendment gun groups in supporting and, and maximizing our freedom here. I just made the argument earlier that I think this is the new this is the new battlefield for gun owners in America. It's no longer legislative per se. This is a battle that's going to be fought in the courts. 
because, uh, you know, we used to try and fight it at a state level against legislation or the national level in Congress. But what's happening is the court, Bruin was such a, a monumental landmark decision that it has, the, again, the ripples continue to spread. And as these states, you just mentioned, you know, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, California, Hawaii, as they continue to thumb their nose and give the proverbial finger to the Supreme Court on, oh, we'll do what you say, but, you know, we're going to do it in a way that basically hurts everybody. The new battles are going to be for citizens and groups like APA, GOA, and gun owners and and uh, the FPC and everybody else. They're going to be fighting this. And that's a very expensive proposition. I mean, a, a Supreme Court case is a multi-million dollar deal, right? We had John Sturgeon here in Alaska fighting for Alaska water rights or for uh, uh, transit rights through uh, waterways. And he went all the way to the Supreme Court, cost him $2.3 million to do that. This is not a cheap deal, but this is where our battle is going to need to be focused. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The the, the battle, we're, we're finally uh, really taking the battle to the anti-gunners. And, you know, one case in point, Governor Newsom here in California, he's, he slipped up a little bit about two weeks ago in the aftermath of some of the uh, recent mass shootings here. He called supporting the Second Amendment a suicide pact. And he quickly realized his mistake and walked back his words. You know, he <laughs> didn't realize that, you know, this is, you know, supporting liberty and freedom in the Second Amendment is not a suicide pact, right? This is very much, you know, we are we are gaining some really meaningful and significant ground. And also, you know, the whole suicide pact thing, it's like very insensitive comment, considering that two thirds of firearms deaths in America are from suicide. Right. And so, you know, supporting the Second Amendment, uh, you know, connecting that with suicide was uh, a little bit of a political gaffe for Governor Newsom and also just showing how desperate he is. And yeah. he's really grasping at straws and trying to create these catchy one liners. And he definitely caught national attention. And now he's catching national flack. Yeah. He's going to be proposing more anti-gun legislation. And he's going to catch even more flack, not just from Californians, but through, you know, from the Supreme Court and also the, the entire judicial system. Yeah. So, you know, the Bruin decision, again, this judicial earthquake that has really unnerved and unrattled gun grabbers, which is a great thing, right? It's really throwing them off their off their game. They're grasping at straws. They're literally desperate, passing laws that they know are going to get shot down as unconstitutional. So, you know, at this moment in time, you know, gun rights groups, we we do have the upper hand, which is a very exciting moment in Second Amendment history here. Chris Chang is our guest, Top Shot champion. Uh, in your own backyard, you've got a unique uh, thing. The city of San Francisco, again, you know, kind of stamping their feet and throwing a tantrum when the Supreme Court said, hey, look, you've got to issue. Uh, you, you have to issue. And they said, well, we don't know how. We've never done it before. So they drug their feet for seven months. And they finally issued their first concealed carry permit uh, here just recently. I know. I think it, what you've you've actually gone through the. You put your paperwork in, right? Have you? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, one of the uh, first batches of uh, CCW applicants here in San Francisco. Yeah, it's been it's been seven months, and uh, I'm in the middle of phase two of three of this very very long process, and. Uh, I, I saw the news the other day about the first San Francisco CCW permit being issued to, you know, an average citizen. You know, in the past, the only CCWs that were issued were to, you know, Senator Feinstein, to federal judges or notable people by like people with I don't know, celebrity and clout 
which obviously is not fair. I mean, it's literally the definition of tyranny, right? When a government disproportionately applies its power amongst the citizenry. So this this first San Francisco CCW for a regular applicant, it's a huge moment. Uh, I hope to be able to say in a few months that you know, I'm, I'm also part of this very first batch of CCW owners in San Francisco. When I see this kind of stuff happening, I'm reminded of the phrase, I mentioned it earlier, but a right delayed is a right denied. I mean, at this point, this is this is kind of what we're looking at is that kind of thing where they're just dragging their feet, making it so difficult. You said you're in phase two of three. Uh, I mean, you expect this to take a full year. And what's the cost been to you? I mean, in money and in time, what's what's that been? Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, the, the guidance I was provided from the San Francisco Sheriff's Department was that this process could take up to nine months. And I think realistically, it'll be nine to 12 months. And, you know, the cost is, is, is real. Uh, so, you know, I think it was something like $150 just to submit the application. Then there's another fee, if I recall, for what's called a live scan fee. Then there's going to be a psychological test that's coming up. I think that's another like $125. Then there's 16 hours of training. And so that's a two-day course that I will have to pay for. So let's be generous and call that $250. Um, and so, right, these costs add up, I mean, you know, coming, coming close to $1,000, right, just to uh, apply and receive a, a CCW permit, right, and compare this to, to, you know, constitutional carry states where you don't have to pay anything, right. you don't really, you don't even have to apply. So, you know, um, I am, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm going to go through the process, you know, here in San Francisco, but, you know, the next battle here is to simplify and streamline and speed up this process and also reduce the cost that it, it takes to apply and receive a CCW here in San Francisco. It's crazy stuff. Less than two minutes left uh, here, Chris. What else are you working on? What should people be looking out for from Chris Chang? What's uh, what's the happening here? Yeah, so I think uh, two things. Um, you know, I've got some new videos coming out with the National Shooting Sports Foundation uh, over the course of this year. Uh, again, targeted towards the new shooter and the new gun owner. Um, the, the Firearms 101 series that we launched about six, seven years ago, we've received over 40 million views on YouTube, which has been very exciting. It's been well received. And so, the NSSF and I wanted to produce another set of videos for the 14 some million new first time gun owners that we've had over the past few years. And so these videos are, are less about marksmanship and more about firearms culture right. and what you can expect when you come to the gun range or when you walk into a gun shop and explaining, you know, here's, here's what to expect and here's how to make sure that you have a safe and fun time. Lastly, uh, I just wrapped up a uh, video segment with CNN. It should be airing uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday. And it's all about the increased uh, gun ownership amongst the Asian American community. And so uh, uh, I was really pleased with how filming went yesterday. And hopefully the uh, the segment comes out really well next I week. can't wait to watch it. We'll have you back on next month to discuss it. Chris Chang, Top Shot Champion. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board. Hold the line. Folks, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Chris, uh, I'm I'm glad. I mean, I love the glee in your eye when you said 14 million new gun owners. I'm just like, uh, 
exactly. I mean, I'm so excited. I mean, if there's there's only been a really a couple silver linings to the COVID fiasco. Uh, one was the uh, opening of people's eyes to what schools and school choice and what the people can educate their own kids. That was been one. But the second one was the interest in, you know, with all the unrest and everything else, the interest in gun ownership and the realization by many people that it wasn't as easy. It wasn't hard. It wasn't harder to get a library book than it was to get a gun. It was a lot harder than they expected. And of course, we saw a whole plethora of new gun owners pop up. I think the Knicks checks are still running record. I think they're still breaking record after record every month. More and more people are becoming interested in becoming part of the gun culture. I think that's fantastic. It is. And, you know, getting someone to the range or, you know, them purchasing their first firearm, though, is the first step, right, in this in this lifelong journey. Or what we hope, right, is a lifelong journey for these first-time gun owners. I think we all know someone, though, who purchased a firearm. They were very excited at that start of it all, but then they don't go to the range, they don't practice, they, they don't study, right? And then that interest peters out. And if you don't maintain your skill set with your firearm, you know, marksmanship is like any other perishable skill set. You know, if you don't use it, if you don't train, if you aren't constantly refining your marksmanship skills, right, your, the, the gun is, is no longer a useful tool. If you don't know how to safely use it, if you're not effective and if you're not efficient with the firearm. So this is the next step, right? We, right. We've gotten these new gun owners through the door, but now we need to... We need to set the dinner table. We need to serve a great dinner. <laughs> we need to keep them for dessert, right? right. So this is where these videos that uh, we're releasing through the National Shooting Sports Foundation, I'm hopeful, right, that not only will they be able to train this new generation of gun owners in marksmanship, but culturally that we will get them also more comfortable and get them to stay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got to be engaged. Just buying the gun is not, you know, it's not some kind of mystical totem that keeps you safe. You've got to be able to learn how to use it, the applicable laws, all those things. We talk about that frequently on the program here that, you know, it's just not some kind of laser shield that, 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 you know, put it in your purse or put it in your your pocket and you're good to go. You've got to do it. And there's a lot of education that's going to have to happen for a lot of these folks. So I'm glad to see that we've got some approachable videos that you guys are putting together to educate people as far as, uh, you know, what they need to know and what, you know, why being part, I, I would like to see also things like more about why the gun culture is important to the, the freedom and Liberty and the nation and the ideal and, and being, you know, it's an, it's essentially an American, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an essential aspect of America. I mean, other people in other countries, I've had people say, I just don't understand why you Americans are so obsessed with guns. Why you do that all the time? I don't know. I just, you know, and it, it because they can understand because it is uniquely American and we need to educate new gun owners on why it's so important and why it is so precious to us. Indeed. And uh, for, for a lot of folks, it's that first time experience of, of shooting a gun or even simply just going to a range and seeing responsible citizens exercising their second amendment right in a, in a safe manner. And, you know, part of what I was emphasizing with CNN yesterday is that, you know, guns are, you know, it's the gun community and gun culture is, is a community, right? The, the guns and the civil liberties and the Second Amendment angles and the diversity angles are are important, 
but also equally important is the amount of community, the friendship, the camaraderie, right? That, that comes with it. And at the end of the day, it's also about getting to know your neighbors right. and your community and right. your friends. And this is, this is the solution. This is one solution to preventing and reducing mass shootings and violence in our community is when we get to actually know each other in person, right? You know, not, not overly relying on social media and, and email and text messages, but actually right, going to a, a range, right? right? Shooting guns. And of course, right after you shoot, right, there's always the social aspect of, hey, right, let's go grab a drink at the bar, right? Let's go grab some food, right? So, you know, the, the, this, this is a really, really exciting moment in, in the gun community. And I would encourage any existing gun owner or member of the gun community to you know, keep an eye out for these new shooters, right? Yeah. And if you see one at the range and if you think they could maybe use some help, use a, a quick tip or a pointer, or maybe just say, hey, you know, you look like a new shooter. Hey, I'd love to, you know, buy your first drink, you know, at the bar after, you know, after we're done shooting, you know, just just keep an eye out, you know, for these new shooters. And let's make be, sure that we all take care you, of them. You mean be a beast, be a decent human being? I mean, is that what you're saying? I think that's a great stuff. Right, yeah. In the simplest terms, that is exactly what I'm saying. Uh, Chris Chang, Top Shot champion, definitely a decent human being. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on board this morning. Thanks as always. It's always good to have you here. Thank you for being part of it. All right, folks, we got to go. Willie Waffles coming up next. Phone is ringing. We're ready to do it. Oh, there we go. The ding, ding, ding. Don't forget to like and share. Don't forget to follow. Don't forget to do all the things the Michael Duke Show Common Sense Radio. Here we go. Okay, weekend time. I'm ready. Ready, 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 ready. How about you guys? You ready? All right, let's uh, jump into it. Willie Waffle, WaffleMovies.com comes in to give us the streaming and entertainment news. And uh, today we uh, we kick it off right now. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like you. I'm, I'm ready. I think it's great. I think we're going to have a good weekend. I think that's all we really need in this world anymore. That's all I'm well, looking for. Yeah. Give me a good weekend, right. and we're good to go. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let's um, let's start off with uh, the entertainment stuff. Um, AMC, big movie, big, those, big mm. movie chain, right? I mean, big <laughs> those so and shows, yep. right? They're trying. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're trying to destroy movie theaters. What? I think this this could be the death blow. Okay, like I, you know. When you are having trouble getting people to come to your theaters, maybe don't make it harder, all right? <laughs> so AMC announced this week that there's going to be a new pricing structure. That's right. No longer is it just let me buy my ticket and pick my seat. Oh, no, 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 no. You want those better seats? We're going to charge you more money. Okay, so if yes. I want to sit, in, if I want to sit in the center, because this drives my wife crazy, she's like, "We can sit anywhere." I'm like, "No, I want to sit in the middle of the thing. I want to be able to see. I don't want to be off center. I hate that." Uh, and she's like, "Well, it's, I'm, like, I'm going to sit there. All right. Now they're going to charge me so, more for sitting in the middle of the theater." 
two extra bucks for that. Okay, because you know that's the fifty dollars yeah, in popcorn and soda wasn't enough. <laughs> right, right. I mean, like literally, you're already making your money on the concessions, guys. Come on, and and so that will be called preferred sightline. Okay. Then there's going to be also uh, there's going to be the standard sight line, which is like anything else. Right. And then there's going to be the value sight line. The guys who get stuck in the front row, <laughs> they're going to pay two dollars less. But I think the deal is you have to be a member of the AMC Stubbs program to get the discount. I swear I read that someplace. Oh man! So, and what's their uh, explanation? Know, and, I mean, what's their explanation? Theaters are dying. Right. Why well, are you making it harder? Exactly. I, I don't understand. And, and they're trying to sell it as like, well, you know, that that's what happens at baseball games and and rock concerts. You just you just pay more for the better seats, and and we're gonna do it too. And I'm thinking, you know, you already have a problem where if it's not some big huge blockbuster or some like quirky horror movie that that catches fire. Um, People don't want to go to your theaters right now. Uh, you, you've you've got a lot of a lot of these uh, these kind of these mid range movies these these Oscar contenders these these movies that play to people who are maybe like twenty five to to sixty or thirty five to sixty that are doing no business, and now you're going to charge people more. Oh, but not on five dollar Tuesdays. They made that very clear. Five dollar oh, okay. Tuesdays are still going to be five dollar Tuesdays. Okay, all right, <laughs> good, good to know. <laughs> Yeah, but you know they already started. They already started in New York City, Chicago, and Kansas City this week, and uh, and they're going to roll it out across the rest of the country throughout the year. Well, good luck, guys. Good luck. I think you're going to have a yeah. hard, I think you're going to have a hard time filling those seats. I'm just saying. Why well, make Why and, make it harder? And how How are they going to enforce this? You know what it's like at the movie theater. Everyone's just going to wait for the lights to go down and go take the seats that they want. And then, then the people who have those tickets are going to show up. And now there's going to be a squabble. And now the manager might have to get involved. Except the manager's some you know, 18-year-old kid who's working part-time who's like, man, I just wanted some money and a chance to see some movies. I am not a referee. Right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? Good Lord. Oh, All right. Well, gosh. okay. All right. That's fine. Um, yep. for James Corden fans, uh, he's going to be leaving CBS, I guess, soonish is he just hasn't announced his last day. Is that the deal? And they already know what they're going to replace him with. Yeah. So, you know, they've, they've been planning this, you know, it, it's basically coming up at some point soon. And, uh, and, uh, so they had to find a replacement. They had to find out what's going to be the program that, that takes over. And, and there's been a lot of jockeying, a lot of, uh, comedians and, and people have been trying to get the gig and they're going to fall back on something a little bit different, a little bit strange. Some might say, and they're turning to their friend, Stephen Colbert, who already has the 1130 show and uh, a show that he used to produce that's called At Midnight. This ran on uh, Comedy Central uh, for a number of years. I want to say like four or five years, like from like, I don't know, I want to say like 2012 until like 2019 or something like that. And uh, they did 600 episodes and it was kind of. It was shaped as kind of being a game show where you had three comedians on and you had a host throwing out questions and then hilarity ensued. Is well, that, they're going to try it on late night. Sounds like Hollywood Squares, but without the without the chance to win. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Colbert, I mean, he's you know, he does pretty well for himself. So that'll be interesting to watch. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I watched a late night 
tell I mean I don't I'm not up at late night you know and and I might see right. a, I might right. see a, I might see a Jimmy Fallon clip or something on the on the internet but I just don't watch it anymore so is late night television as big as it used to be I mean it used to be you know Carson no. and all that kind of stuff Letterman and now it's just like who yeah, exactly. No, no. Late night television is not what it is. This is a clear, a clear, clear sign of that. Uh, because, you know, this, this should be a coveted spot. This should be the next David Letterman. This should be the next Stephen Colbert or the next Jimmy Fallon, uh, you know, the next Conan O'Brien. And and they, they're basically just giving up. They're just saying, we're going to bring out something that's a little bit different because people don't want to see the late night talk show format much anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that's gone by the wayside. Now, they don't know who's going to host this thing. Uh, it was originally done uh, by Chris Hardwick, uh, who was a comedian and, and a TV personality. Uh, but it was maybe pretty clear he's not in the running because uh, you know we're leaving we're leaving we're leaving cable buddy you're a cable dude we're gonna get a big star to do this <laughs> okay willie i got this genius idea for late night why don't we put together yes. a show it's a variety show right music talent questions interviews and we get wait for it arsenio hall to do it i think that would be fantastic <laughs> arsenio's the man okay leo hey he, you know Hey, you know, Arsenio Hall, the man who, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, Arsenio Hall, the man who changed late night television forever he, he in the late 80s. He, he really did. Yeah, he, he opened it up until Arsenio, it was Johnny Carson and not much else. <laughs> yeah, no, he did. He did a pretty good job. All right. Well, late night TV, yeah. for those of you who are watching. Uh, food. I'm I'm into food. I love the Food Network. I mean, I'm watching Food Network shows all the time with my kids. My daughters love them. My wife loves them. We love Guy Fieri, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. We've been, you know, I've been on television. I've been on a, an episode of that, uh, and uh, with with Guy, it's a it's an amazing deal. But he apparently has got a new challenger. A new challenger steps into the ring, and it's going to be interesting. <laughs> It's going to be Pamela Anderson, baby. That's right. Oh, my God. Pamela Anderson has a new Food Network Canada cooking show. That's right. She's like taking the... over Food Network Canada. Yeah. It's called Pamela's Cooking with Love. Okay. And and so this is this is that rebranding of Pamela Anderson we were talking about last week. You know, she's uh, recently had a, a program on uh, on Canadian television about renovating her mother's house where she grew up. Right. Now she's doing now she's doing the cooking show. She's got her eyes set on the Martha Stewart prize, my man. Now, here here's what makes Pamela's cooking with love a little bit different. She's a dedicated vegan and she's only going to feature plant-based cooking and recipes because she hasn't eaten any meat in 30 years. Okay. Well, yep. good luck. Good luck with that. I mean, yep. how do you, good how luck do, with that. How do you, I don't even know. I don't even know how you do that. I just don't even know how you even survive without, but okay. Good for her. Good for her. All right. Let's talk about uh, one of my favorite shows. Yellowstone. Um, oh my God, the drama! This could be the beginning of the end for Yellowstone. Dude, they left me on a cliffhanger. You cannot tell me it's going to be the beginning of the end. What's going on? There is a lot of jockeying and and gamesmanship going on right now. So a story broke out earlier this week that the uh, that the producers of Yellowstone see the writing on the wall that Kevin Costner wants out or is trying to be so controlling that it's going to be impossible to do the show anymore. And they're getting ready to end it. And they're going to put all their weight behind a new, a new, a new series 
featuring Matthew McConaughey. So what what's happening right now is if you believe the story, and I, I do, I do believe it, um, Kevin Costner has been trying to reduce the number of days he's required for filming because he's got other things he's working on. Right, right. So like, you know, if, for the filming of part one of season five, he was signed on to do 65 days. And I guess at some point he said, yeah, I'm only going to do 50 now. Tough luck. Deal with it. Oh, and by the way, for uh, part two of season number five, um, he says, yeah, I'm really only going to be around for a week, so uh, we're going to have to figure that out. <laughs> He's oh, like, boy. The story revolves around his character in a big way. I don't know how he could produce six hours of television with a week's worth of filming. I don't I, I don't yeah. understand how that could happen. Um, that would be very difficult, and I think that's why they're, they're throwing this idea out that, like, you know, if we don't have a dedicated Costner, we do not have a program. And uh, there's talk that maybe they'll shift some of the other characters and actors over to the Matthew McConaughey uh, program, and, uh, you know, they'll continue it some way like that. Mm. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Or this could be, this just could be the producers trying to scare Kevin Costner well, he, into realizing that we can go on without you. He's a producer. He's, he's an executive producer on this. I don't know That's why true. it was part of his brainchild. I don't know well, why, you know. Because if, I have a feeling that executive producer title is something they tacked on to get him to do the show so he can get a little bit of back-end money and you know, let, him, let him make some small decisions. Uh, you know, it's really Taylor Sheridan and his yeah, gang yeah. that are running this show. So, well, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll just do something else without him. Because, again, a different show. Well, I don't think you knew in the yeah. end of season three or four whether or not he was going to live. Season three, whether or not he was going to live because it looked like he was going to die. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe they just kill him off and we move on. All right. We only got about three and a half minutes here. Magic, okay. Mike, your place or mine, which one do you want to start with? <laughs> I really don't want to start with either. Uh, <laughs> let's start with Let's start with Magic Mike's last dance. Okay. You know, they can only promise that, right? Right. So, you know, you know, it, it's Channing Tatum and and somehow supposedly as you watch this movie, the theme is supposed to be something about women finding empowerment by watching men shake their money maker. I don't know if it was that subtle and nuanced. Uh, you know, it really is more like pretty woman come to life again, <laughs> except Channing Tatum is the pretty woman. Right. Because He's he's now met this this you know this uh this very rich estranged uh, wife of a, a media mogul uh, played by uh, Salma Hayek who uh, let's just say invites him back to London and uh, you know they uh, they go shopping and they uh, they they go to fancy dinners and he has a butler and uh, he does some more dancing but the the ruse is that somehow he's going to put on a one night only male review on the boards in London for all the ladies of London. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've never like seen... Like, they don't have... they don't. Like, yeah, they don't have strippers in London? <laughs> uh, yeah. I've never seen any of the Magic Mike movies, so that's a negative one to four waffles. Give it to me. One waffle. Ow. Okay. All right. That's, and that's yep. a, enough said. Enough said. Your yep. place or mine, Reese Withers, <laughs> Witherspoon and, Ash, and, and, Ash, and Ashton Kush, Kutcher. 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 Um... I don't know if that's a star-studded cast or not. You tell me. Go for it. Well, it is. I mean, listen, this is a comfortable movie. It's a it's a feel-good movie. It's a Sunday afternoon, getting under a warm little blanket, drinking some hot cocoa because I'm not watching a football game kind of movie that's on Netflix. And, yeah, they, they play best friends <laughs> for 20 years. 
And they became best friends because one night they uh, had a little bit of a one-night stand. But they they just became friends after that. But, of course, we all know as we watch the movie, they were obviously meant for each other. Why aren't they just dating? And the the uh, everything gets pushed when, you know, because he lives in New York and she lives in L.A., they swap houses because he's going to take care of her kid in L.A. while she heads off to New York to take some big class and take some exam that can get her a nice promotion. And they start to realize maybe there's more to this relationship than they ever wanted to admit. So traditional romantic comedy, no twists, no turns, nothing to see here. Negative one to four waffles. Two and a half waffles because oh. Kutcher and Withers, they can make it work. I mean, yeah. they are very talented. They're very good with uh, with comic timing and comic situations. And they get surrounded by a nice wacky uh, cast of uh, of co-stars okay all right well willie waffle wafflemovies.com thank you my friend appreciate you coming on board as always it's a pleasure to speak with you we will talk with you next friday oh it'll be all about ant-man okay i can't wait another i actually am looking forward to that quite honestly all right folks we're out of time we gotta go thank you for being part of it coming up on monday dr dan savage talks about medical choice sarah montalbano talks education busy day we'll see you on monday have a great day All right. Well, I mean, you know, maybe that's like you said, that's a Sunday movie under the blanket with some popcorn when you're not when you run out of other things to watch, I guess. Um, I yeah, just, I think so. I just don't feel the need to watch every movie anymore these days. I mean, when I was younger, man, if there was any movie that was in the news, I was going to see it. Um, but it just it's just different now. It's just different. Yeah. I only it changes. A- I, th- I think. Yeah. It, it, well, and, and on the other on the flip side, it, are all the movies all that important anymore in general anyways? True. True. I that's mean, that's you true. Know, you know, when we all, because I'm with you, you know, it was if it was a new movie, I needed to see it. I had to be there. I wanted to be in there on, on opening weekend. I wanted to be talking about it. And I, I think that, you know, we, we've kind of balkanized movie going now to where, you know, everything is really made for one particular audience. And if you're not in the audience for that movie, uh, you couldn't care less. And you might yeah. not even know that it's out. Yeah, exactly. Who was it the other day that told me that they hadn't even seen the Lord of the Rings movie? And I said, "You're dead." Oh, Chris Story said, "I had never <laughs> seen the. I've never seen. He's a weekly guest on the program, and he said something like, i 'I've never seen Lord of the Rings.'" And I'm like, "What? Wow. You're, you're you're dead to me, man." But I mean, that's really kind of you know that's the way it is today. I mean, there's tons of movies that I haven't seen, and you know what? It's two hours of my life that I'd rather watch something that I know I'm going to enjoy, not maybe enjoy kind of thing, you know. Uh, yep. so pretty difficult stuff. Uh, we did miss one story that I did want to get to my, one of my other favorite TV shows is of yeah. course Bosch with Titus Wellever, um, uh, Mimi Rogers. I mean, just a great cast of characters, a fantastic show. They brought the new Bosch legacy to freebie and everything else. You've got some news on Bosch and I'm dying to hear it cause I have no idea what it is. Oh, lots of big news. So first of all, Bosch legacy season two will be premiering this fall okay they haven't given an exact date but they put out the word get ready it's happening this fall and they are so into the bosch uh the bosch universe as it now will be called we're getting two spin-off shows as well no here's the first yes here's the first one it's going to be following detective jerry edgar 
Oh, Jay Edgar. Okay. Yeah, I, I Jay did that. Edgar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So, uh, he he has been tapped for an undercover FBI mission in Little ha- Little Haiti, Miami, and uh, he's got to balance his new life with the gritty underbelly of the city, my friend. I like his character. His character is now you you haven't watched Bosch. Or did you watch the first I season? haven't seen enough. I've seen I've seen I've seen like a few episodes here and there. Yeah. Uh, and it's good. Oh it's you know super I just good. I just never was committed enough. Yeah and I'm not a huge fan of like police procedurals, but just Titus Wellever is such a titan in that role, man. He just plays it to the T. Uh and I really enjoy it. So that's good news. What's the second spinoff? The second one's a little bit different here. It's going to be about a new character who has not appeared yet, Detective Renee Ballard, who's now running the LAPD's new cold case division. And she wants to bring the credibility that her mentor... Harry Bosch brought to the job. Oh, I'm down with that. I'm I'm down with yeah. that. And I'm wondering if this is uh, if this is from the Michael Connolly books or not. Michael Connolly is a he's an executive producer and writer. He he does everything on the show. It I've never listened to the I've never read or or listened to the stories. Listen to me. I'm an audiobook guy. I've never listened to the stories. I've never read the books. But uh, I understand that the shows are pretty you know pretty true to as far as the characters go and everything. So. Well, I'm looking forward to that. More Bosch is not a bad thing in my book. No, I think it's going to be really exciting. And, and you know, they haven't really committed to where they're going to be. Um, I have a feeling they're probably going to go to Freebie. I think they, they've they already determined Freebie is really Bosch country. Uh, you know, it brings a lot of uh, people there that haven't been there yet. And uh, they can learn about this uh, streaming service. And, you know, Amazon Prime, they, they seem to be focusing a little bit more on movies. And, and I dare I say bigger names, which is, uh, uh, you know, that could be a, a two-edged sword or a double-edged yeah. sword there. I mean, well, I'm you know, really- Netflix. I think is falling into that now. I'm really bummed because I hate the commercials and I can only watch Bosch Legacy with the commercials and it just irritated me. Yeah. But it is what it is. I mean, like I said, I would pay money for a freebie tier that has no commercial. I'll pay money for that. Give me three bucks a month. I'll pay money. Whatever. Just make it happen. All right. Well, I guess um, that's it. I will give you my, you want my pick for the week? My pick for yes. the week. Yes. Uh, I watched two new shows, uh, and uh, one is for me, one is for me and my wife. We enjoyed it. The one that my wife and I watched that we really enjoyed is called Ghosts. And apparently it's a CBS drama with a gal from iZombie and a bunch of other... It's a comedy, and it is one of the greatest TV shows on TV right now. It is so funny. I have not laughed so hard, laughed out loud so hard so many times. Great show, Ghosts. Uh, which is available on Peacock, I think. Uh, no, uh, well, uh, Par- Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus. If, you, if yeah. you want to watch it on streaming, and yeah. it's on every every Thursday night at eight thirty on CBS. And then the other one that I watched is uh, from Amazon Prime, and it's called Upload, uh, which stars uh, Robbie Amell uh, as a guy who dies and gets uploaded to a virtual afterlife. Um, in hijinks ensue. It is. It's great. I really enjoyed it. That was my watching it. My wife's not there or whatever, and I got time to myself. 25, 30-minute episodes, easy to consume. Go watch it. Upload on Amazon Prime. All right. Um, that's it, my friend. Uh, yeah, and now we get to talk about ghosts every week. Oh, ghosts, man. It's so fun. All right. Um, <laughs> so great. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. We'll see you later. <laughs> Folks, I see you. again, out of time. 
Uh, Sarah Montalbano from the Alaska Policy Forum talks education on Monday. Plus, Dr. Dan Savage comes in to talk about medical choice. That should be an interesting conversation. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great weekend. We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.